Let's ask the Lord for his help. God, you are our rock and you're our redeemer. There is nothing more firm to stand on than you. And there is salvation in no other name. You're our rock and you're our redeemer. So this morning, God, would you help us to stand on you through your word? And would your saving work that you accomplished 2,000 years ago, would it continue into all the spaces, all the unconquered spaces of our hearts this morning? And would you help us love one another in this gathering? Would you do your work that you purchased on the cross for the church to do? Would you do it this morning? Through your word and through one another, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you're a Christian... There are things that God wants to give to you before you die. Now, when you die, that's when most of what God plans to give to you is coming. Most of what God is going to give you through Jesus Christ on the cross is coming after you die. Because you will exist for 40,000 years after you die. 50,000, 60,000, on and on and on and on. And you will be experiencing the kindness of God in those tens, hundreds, millions of years that Jesus purchased on the cross for you. But there are gifts that God intends to give you in this life before you die. He intends to make you, by degree, more and more like Jesus. He intends to give that gift to you. He intends to give you the gift of increased joy in your soul increased peace inside, increased contentment with who he is. That's what he intends to give you. He intends, before you die, to give you more fellowship with him, an increased fellowship experience of who God is in worship. He wants to give that to you. And he's going to give you grace after grace after grace after grace to keep you from now until the day you die trusting in him. All of that grace Jesus has purchased for you and he intends to give it to you, but most of it will not come to you directly from Jesus. It will all come from him, but most of it will come through other people. That's what God intends. If you're hungry, your stomach needs food. Well, let me backtrack. I'm jumping ahead. If you're hungry, your stomach needs to be filled. And if you're here today and you're living, most of you are, it's because God has day after day filled your stomach. He has given you what you need to survive day after day after day. Sometimes three times a day, he's filled your stomach. That's what you need. How has he done it? Through food. 
I doubt any of us here have been needing our stomachs filled, and we pray, oh, God, fill my stomach, and we're full. He does it by providing food for you. Isn't that how he fills your stomach? Through food. It's not directly straight from Jesus. It's through food. But even then, does the KFC fall from the sky onto your plate? No. Someone else makes it for you. You order it. It's prepared. It's put on a tray for you, and you eat. And it may shorten your lifespan. Ask Chris. I've never prayed, never sat down in front of an empty plate and prayed, God, thank you for this food. And hummus with meat just slowly materialized. Even the food that God uses to fill our stomach comes through others. Someone else prepared it for you. Or you prepare it for yourself. You've gone to the store. You've gotten the ingredients, the spices. That's how God fills your stomach. That's how he gives you what you need. Now, Last week, the burden of last week's sermon, when we were talking about corporate worship, it was to say that we gather in worship so that our souls can feast on God. That's what worship is. It's not primarily giving something to God that he doesn't have. It's enjoying him. Even as we praise him and say, you're great, you're great, our souls are feasting on who he is. But how do our souls feast? Is it just a a mystical, unmediated experience with our souls and God? It's through truth. That's what we saw in John 4. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. The way your soul will enjoy God more and more and feast on him and be filled, which is what you need, is as you think on the truth and embrace it, God fills your soul. But even then, most of the truth that you will receive will come from this book and from other people. That's what God intends. That's how God intends for your soul to get its diet of truth. It's through the ministry of others. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. You can turn there if you want. We're actually going to go to it twice during this sermon. But now, Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, Paul's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and listen to what he says. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we're speaking to one another, and that's how we grow up into Christ. That's how we become like Jesus. From whom, this is verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How are we growing up into Christ? It's through all the parts working properly, speaking the truth in love to one another. You and I will not mature into what Christ wants us to be without others. That's what we need to see. That's the burden of this morning. 
you will not become Christ-like in the ways that he wants you to grow alone. He intends for your growth to happen as part of a body with the other members of the body speaking to you and investing in you and pouring into you. That's how he intends to change you. So that's what I want to impress on you this morning. If, if last week it was worship is our souls feasting on God through the truth, this week it's yes, we feast on God through truth. How does he want us to get it? In large part, through one another. So last week, we, talked, we first talked about that's what we do in worship. Our souls are feasting on God through the truth. That was John 4. And then we used Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as kind of the backbone that we build on for our worship gathering. So we said the church in Acts 2, 42, what did they do? The early church. They gathered together for devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's what we said they did last week. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why do we need one another in the worship gathering? I mean, there's one way to do church where you show up and it's kind of an individual, personal thing. Maybe you're engaged with the preacher, maybe with the singing, but the other people are irrelevant. And we're asking the question, why do we need the other people in this room? For singing, that's what we're going to go first, for teaching, for prayer, and for the Lord's Supper. Those four things. And if you're astute, you're going, okay, but you changed the outline from last week. Last week you said it was teaching, fellowship, prayer, and the Lord's Supper. Why did you get rid of fellowship this week and add singing? Here's why. The question before us this morning is, how do we fellowship in the teaching? How do we fellowship in our praying? How do we fellowship in the Lord's Supper? So fellowship's all over this sermon. We're just trying to figure out how do we do it in the different elements of corporate worship. And we added singing because singing is a kind of prayer and fellowship that is commanded more than once in the New Testament. And it's an important part of our worship together. So let's start with singing. Why do we need one another when we sing? Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. You heard Lucy read these verses. Turn there if you can. Should be a page over from what we just read in Ephesians 4. This is Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So first Paul says, verse 18, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Did you know that you can be more or less filled with the Holy Spirit? We're commanded right here, be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God. Every Christian who trusts in Jesus Christ as the Savior for their sins, crucified for them, raised from the dead, you have the Holy Spirit. 
It's the only way you can ever believe in him is because of the Spirit. But you can be more or less filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we have a command to be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's not what this sermon's about. We could, maybe we should do a sermon on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I believe the New Testament tells us the way you're filled with the Holy Spirit is by meditating on the truth and embracing it with your soul. That's how you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've got questions about that, ask me after the service. Read Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. That's where we'll go if you ask me after the service. But you'll notice that's very similar to the definition of worship, right? Meditating on the truth and embracing God through it. That's how you're filled with the Spirit. And what does Paul want us to do when we're filled with the Spirit? He wants us to address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So who are we singing to? One another? That's 50% right. Almost a passing grade. And God. Do you see that? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's what's unique about corporate worship. You can sing to God alone in your bedroom, but you can't do this. Where you're singing to each other and you're singing to God. That's what Paul is calling us to do. He's commanding us to do that as a church. I had a friend in the U.S. who took this very seriously. He's still my friend. But in the worship gathering, he would, he would look around at people while he was singing. He would even do a 180. A mighty fortress is our God. He would look people in the eye. He would spin around and stare at them because he was taking this seriously. Now, I have a lot of respect for that. It freaked people out, and <laughs> rightly so. But he was trying to take seriously what Ephesians 5 is calling us to do. Here's how I think this should play out. I think that this should play out in us sincerely worshiping God. You'll notice, by the way, every song's a little different. The last song we sang, it was like we were addressing each other. Do you notice that? The last song we're going to sing today, As You Go, it's like we're singing to one another. That's okay. But as you do it, you're going to God. When we're singing songs to God, what we're doing is we're trying to embrace him with our whole hearts, enjoy who he is in worship in such a way that other people are overhearing us. That's crucial. That's crucial. You can't do this alone in your room. When I see someone here, on Saturday mornings, when I see someone out of the corner of my eye, and it's usually only Luke or Laura because I'm up here, I'm at a disadvantage, I can see people over here to the right. When I see someone sincerely worshiping God, it pushes my own heart into worship. When I hear your voices, now we're at a disadvantage with masks on. That's really bad for corporate singing because it's all muffled. You're all getting your own voice and no one else is getting 
to hear you singing. When you hear other people or see them sincerely engaged with God, the point of it is to, to help drive your own heart into worshiping God. That's what God intends for you in corporate worship. So here's some encouragements. Sing out. Sing out. God wants you to be heard by the other people in this room. That might sound really scary to you. God wants other people in this room to hear you singing. I know sometimes I do the whole like whisper, whisper singing. Last week even, I was afraid I was going to lose my voice. So maybe it was two or three weeks ago. I was afraid I was going to lose my voice before preaching. And I was like, I'm just going to mouth it out. And then I thought about this text. I thought, no, God wants other people to hear me sing. Not just me sing, but along with others. And I need to hear them. He intends for this to be an encouragement. It's not the quality of your singing. It's the sincerity of your worship that's driving those around you to sincerely worship God. Parents, your kids need to see you worshiping Jesus. Your kids need to see it. Dads especially who are afraid to look vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable in front of anyone. Your kids need to know, you know what it looks like to be a man? A grown man or a grown woman who loves Jesus? They sing. They sing. They enjoy him. And I want to be the kind of grown man or woman who can enjoy Jesus with all my heart. Not just a little bit. Kids, we need to hear you sing. We do. It is an encouragement to the souls of adults to trust in Jesus like kids. We're called to do that. And we need to hear you. We want to hear you worshiping the Lord. This is different than a concert. At a concert, you don't want to hear the person next to you singing. We all know what it's like to be listening to a song you love and have someone else in the car who's singing so loudly you can't enjoy it. We know what that's like. And when you go to a concert, you're trying to drown all those people out. In corporate worship, we're intended to hear one another. And so it matters. I mean, even the volume. When we think about the volume of the worship team, we think we want it to be loud enough where people are inclined to join in, but not too loud where we can't hear the people around us. Because if you read the New Testament, the only commands or direction concerning music have to do with us singing to each other. So it's important that we can hear. Here's a, here's a second encouragement when it comes to singing. Open your eyes occasionally. It's okay to close your eyes, engaging with God. Every once in a while, open your eyes. Don't be weird. Don't turn around and stare someone in the face and distract them from worshiping. But it is important for you to be able to see other people are really engaged with God. And I want that. I'm easily distracted. I am very distracted on Saturday mornings. I'm thinking about the announcements that need to go on afterwards. I got to make sure I bring my Lord's Supper cup up here. If I forget it, that'd be weird. I need to make sure I take my mat. I'm thinking all these thoughts. How are my kids doing? What's going on in the, in the gathering? What needs to happen? And when I see someone engaged with God, I go, God, that's what I want. And that's what is intended for us in corporate worship. 
that our sincere engagement with God would help one another sincerely engage with him. Now, here's a transition text. We're, we're going to move from singing into teaching, why we need each other in singing, why we need each other in teaching. This is a transition text. It's Colossians 3.16. It talks about both. Colossians 3.16, and just listen how similar this is to Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. A little different spin on Ephesians 5, but it's saying there's a horizontal element. The other people in here need to be engaged by your worship to God. Notice, instead of Paul saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's a reason for that. It's because if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we need the truth. We need the word of Christ, which is why some of our lyrics are meaty. Some of the lyrics of our songs are pretty theological. There's a lot of meat in there. It's because we want to sing truth. Truth matters. We're not just getting up here so we can groove together, have a good time clapping and dancing. We're singing truth to one another because that's essential for our worship. Let's talk about teaching. So how about the sermon? Why do we need other people in the room for it? How does it relate to this kind of teaching? Turn back to Ephesians 4, if you can. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, Paul says this. He gave, now he's talking about Jesus, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So he gave these people to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now notice these people that Christ has given to the church all have speaking gifts, speaking gifts. Their job is to speak. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, I think are actually one position in the New Testament. They have one article, the shepherds and teachers. It's one position. They have speaking gifts, and their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. They're equipping the saints to build up the body of Christ. Do you see that? So my job, now I'm not an apostle, a prophet, or evangelist. I'm probably a shepherd and teacher. My job is to equip you to build up the body. Your job is to build up the body. My job is to equip it. So how does it happen? How then will you Build up the body. How will you do it? Skip down to verse 15. We read this earlier. Speaking the truth in love, 
we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So how do we grow up into the head, Christ? Speaking the truth in love. That's how it happens. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that building up language? The body is building itself up in love as the individual parts speak the truth in love. So here's how I see this playing out. I get up here, or Luke gets up here, week in and week out, and we're teaching. We're teaching from this word. That's all that matters. My opinion doesn't matter. Luke's opinion doesn't matter. What God thinks matters. So that's what we're teaching. That teaching, then, is like equipping so that you take the truth and then you speak it to one another. My preaching is not enough. That's really important to understand. This kind of directional ministry is not enough. My teaching to every individual in this room is not enough. The body won't be built up that way. It won't happen until it moves from you to each other. That's what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 4. Which is why it's so crucial that when we come in this room, we're thinking, okay, how do I take what I've heard, what the Lord is teaching me, and help talk to other people about it? Because that's how I and the others in this room are going to grow into maturity. Here are two easy ways to do this. This is not, you can do this in a million ways with other believers, but just two super easy, low-hanging fruit kind of ways to do this. After the gathering, talk about the sermon. Talk about the sermon text. Talk about the truth that's in it. Be asking questions like, okay, the text we were talking about, did that change anything about the way you think about life? Change the way you think? Change anything you need to do? Does it affirm what you're already doing? Affirm what you're already thinking? Just engage in conversation. It's even okay to critique the sermon. So long as what you're driving at is truth. And how do we help one another trust it? You can do that over lunch. And if there's a culture among our church where we're ready for that sort of thing, we're not weirded out when we sit down for our KFC and someone's like, tell me what you think about the sermon. We're not like, oh, it's none of this guy's business. We know this is how the body builds itself up as we speak the truth in love. Here's a second easy suggestion. Be in a small group. Be in a small group. That's what we do. We have one on Friday nights to Gullick study. Friday and Monday? Friday and Saturday to Gullick Bible studies. English study on Monday nights at the Humphreys. We have an English study at 9 o'clock here on Saturday mornings. What we're aiming at is time where we get to know each other. We get to know each other. And we get to know the truth. We're talking over the truth so that the truth is being more personalized into one another's lives. That's what we want to see happen. So join a Bible study or small group. That's also what is happening in youth. Our youth meet every other Friday. Is that, is that right, Luke? 
That's what's going on. It's an opportunity for relationship and for truth to be driven into one another's hearts through the whole body. Let's talk about prayer. Why do we need to pray together? Now, Jesus wants us to pray in private. If you know your New Testament, Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If you don't have an intensely private and personal relationship with God, you may not have one at all. There is special grace that comes through private prayer, but there's also a special kind of grace that comes when we pray together, corporately. There are two benefits I see. The first is that when we pray together, our hearts and our minds are knit together with one another. The New Testament really wants this for us. Jesus really wants this for us. He wants us to be united. We're supposed to be, to have unity of mind. That's 1 Peter 3.8. We're called to stand firm in one spirit with one mind. That's Philippians 1.27. We're called to be of the same accord and of one mind. Philippians 2.2. And in John 17, That's largely what Jesus is praying for, is that we would be united with one another. All of us praying the same thing helps us to do that. It helps us do that. When Luke is up here praying like he did this morning, he's getting to drive this thing. He's driving the train. But when we all hop on and we're saying, yeah, what he's praying, I'm going to pray that too. We're moving in the same direction. God intends that for us. He wants us to be able to say amen with each other. Do you know what amen means? Or amen. It means so be it. What you're saying is yes. What was just prayed? God, make it happen. That's why we say amen after someone else prays. What we're, being, what we're doing is we're saying the things that that person just prayed for, I'm praying them too, God. Please make it so. When we do that, God is uniting our hearts and our minds together. But even better than that, even better than simply being united, which is something that Christ wants for us, is that when we pray together, God is more glorified when he answers our prayers. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.11. He asks the Corinthian church to pray with him. Here's what he says. You also must help us by prayer so that, so that, now he's telling us why he wants them to pray, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That's really interesting. He's not saying pile on to this prayer so that God will answer it. He's saying, no, pile onto this prayer so that when God answers it, more people give thanks. And the reason Paul wants that, 2 Corinthians 4.15, he says, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So as more people are giving thanks, God is receiving more glory. And that's what Paul wants. He's saying, listen, here's a precious benefit of praying together. When we pray together 
and God answers, we give thanks together. And when more people are giving thanks together, God is glorified. That's why we pray together as a church. We want to be united in heart, and we want to see God honored and glorified. So an encouragement in prayer is try to follow along when someone else is praying. This is not easy. It's not easy, especially for people who are easily distracted like myself. It requires self-discipline to refocus your mind on what the person is praying so that you're going, yes, I want that too. I want it as well. It's not just a time to rest up before the sermon when Luke gets up to pray or I get up to pray. It's an opportunity for our hearts to be united as we engage with what that other person is praying. And at the end, say amen. There's nothing magical about the word amen. It's not some magic word that makes God do what, what we want him to do. But it's a way for us to say yes. Together we are asking this, God. And may it be that we give thanks and glorify you through it. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Why does it matter that we're together when we take the Lord's Supper? We eat that little piece of bread and drink that little cup of juice. If you go to an Arabic restaurant, you've got a couple options. You can go the personal route. You can order something for yourself, get your own little plate, or you can go with the mixed grill. You can share it. It's a totally different experience. You can't take the mixed grill into a little clamshell thing and go eat it in your car. The Lord's Supper is like a two-kilogram mixed grill. You shouldn't eat it alone. If you do, you'll probably get sick. Maybe literally. We're, we're going to see that here. It's intended for us to eat together as a family. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It is a shared family meal, and there's precious, precious symbolism in there for us. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 11. This is a longer passage. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, he's talking about their gathering, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So the church in Corinth was divided. That's what he's saying. They're divided. There are factions. When they get together as a church, they're little groups, and they're not united. They are relationally broken with one another. And he says one of the ways that this shows up is when you gather for the Lord's Supper, it seems like when they gathered, they had a meal, a whole meal together. You could not, if this was real wine, which it's not, you couldn't get drunk on it. There's obviously lots more wine and lots more food at this meal that they're enjoying together or that they're supposed to enjoy as a church. What's happening is some people are showing up for the gathering. They're eating and they're drinking. Some are getting drunk 
When the poor show up, probably because they can't get off work as early, there's nothing left. And Paul's saying, that's not the Lord's Supper. In fact, that's why some of you are getting sick and even dying. You can see that in verses 27 through 32. People were dying for this. Now notice, they're not dying because they didn't handle the bread in just the right way or handle the cup in just the right way. Why are they dying? They're dying because they are disrespecting the other people in the church. That's amazing. They're disrespecting each other. There's broken relationships among them. And some are getting sick and dying. Verse 33, Paul says, My brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. We need one another in the Lord's Supper. It's so crucial. People are getting sick here and dying for neglecting it. I think it's incredible that Jesus gave us a meal for our worship gatherings. He gave us a meal. And he's saying, this bread, this drink, take it. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. But remember, it's not just for you. My body was broken in part so that your sins might be forgiven, but also so that you might be put into a new body, one with another. Jesus wants us to do this thing together. And that needs to be on our minds when we're taking the Lord's Supper. It needs to be on our minds. Okay, you don't have to look around at everyone, but in your mind's eye, thinking, okay, the people in this room, am I in broken relationships with them? Because it's that important to Jesus that we be united with one another as we say, not just I accept your body and your blood for me, Jesus, but we do together. And you've put us in this body together. His sacrifice cleanses, but it also connects us to one another. So take in the other people in the room as we take the Lord's Supper. Our feasting comes most fully through others in the body. That's in the symbol of the Lord's Supper that we take. We're saying our worship is feasting on God, and then we get to take some bread and some juice and symbolize it. He's our life. He's what nourishes our souls. And we get to say, as we do it one with another, we know, God, that our feasting comes most fully as a body. That's what we remember when we take the Lord's Supper. You may see a pattern here in the way that we do our sermon series. A year ago in September... We preached on what a church is. What is a local church? And we said it's a group of believers who have committed to gathering regularly with one another under qualified leadership to affirm one another's faith. You got to know people to do that. We're looking out for each other's souls under the word of God and the ordinances 
and to seek the spread of the gospel to all nations. That's what a church is. What a church does is what we're talking about now. Last week, what is worship? This week, why do we need each other? Next week, Luke's going to talk about what does our gathering have to do with the lost, unbelievers. Just so you know, this, this hour, you might feel like, hey, this, I could be doing other things with this hour on a Saturday morning. We're actually reaching out to people. And Luke's going to talk about that next year. Next year. <laughs> I hope not. I was cynical as a university student about the church. I didn't go to a local church for three years in university. I didn't want anything to do with it. I eventually started going monthly because a friend told me that once a month they had lunch after the service. And I knew I needed to actually attend the service to eat the lunch. So once a month, I would go and I would sit through the service and I'd sit in the back and I'd just be storing up ways to mock the pastor because he was always talking about community and church and how we need each other. And I was thinking, man, I got my Bible. I need Jesus, not the church. Until I saw that the way I get more of Jesus is through the church. That's what he intends. That's what he intends for our gatherings. We're all in different places. If we're honest with ourselves, we're all in different places and comfort levels as it relates to engaging one another. Some people feel totally free singing at the top of their lungs. Maybe too loud. You feel totally free. Other people feel more restricted in their worship. Some people feel totally comfortable coming up to a table People they don't know that well talking about what's in the sermon. Some people feel really uncomfortable with that kind of personal interaction. We all have places we need to grow. And this is a call. Let's press into it. Our relationship with Jesus and the relationship of others with Jesus depends on us leaning into one another in this gathering and out of this gathering. Jesus has purchased your growth. He's purchased it. You're not purchasing it. He purchased it. And he's going to accomplish it through his sacrifice on the cross. And the way you're going to receive that grace to grow in him, most of it, lots of it, is going to come through the local church. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a body who gather, not just to enjoy a show on Saturday mornings, not just because it's what we did when we were kids. We want to gather with your people to engage you in worship. You are our food. You are our drink. And we want to help one another feast on you. Oh God, make us aware. Make us aware of one another. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to speak the truth and love one to another. Grow us in it, God. Grow us in our care for the other people in your body. And through it, Lord, would we grow in enjoying you and trusting you and receiving all that you have purchased for us, Jesus, on the cross. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.